All right, gentlemen, good, right, good morning. Uh, hope everybody got enough bacon. If not, go finish up with the eggs and the hash browns that are back there. We are going to go ahead and get started with our panel. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Trevor Mears. I'm one of the deacons here at Sailorville, and I'm going to be the moderator for this uh, rowdy bunch of guys up here. Um, I'm going to be playing the role of like Alex Trebek, where I'm going to sort of imply I know all the answers, but I won't actually answer any of the questions. So that's, that's the benefit of being the uh, know-it-all moderator up here. Um, well, Dick's here now, so we got the sage. We're good. Um, we're just going to go down the line, and I'm going to have each guy just real quickly say kind of who they are, what they do at Sailorville. And then I'm going to ask each of you guys, answer one of our table questions. If you could jump into any Bible story, which one would you jump into? Dick, take it away. Well, you just heard my first name. Yeah, you just heard my first name, uh, Dick Ober. I don't do anything here. Um, <laughs> but I used to. <laughs> Actually, I do go out on visitation in the summertime. Um, you might be the longest-standing member of this church. Yeah, that's a real... I don't know if that's a great distinction or not. <laughs> but I am. Been here since 1946, if that tells you anything. And I've seen a lot of changes here. A lot of them. And the best ones came about 20-some years ago. <clears throat> so, I'm really... Uh, I'm blessed by this church, to tell you the truth. And it wasn't always that way. Uh, I uh, spent my life putting down floor covering and that type of thing, and I'm 99% retired now. So, uh, as far as Bible stories, oof, a couple come to my mind that I'd kind of like to have been there uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. That would have been really cool. <clears throat> and maybe in the room when Jesus first showed himself after the resurrection. I can't imagine what that must have been like. That would have been a thrill. I'm Pat Nimmers. I arrived here 20 some years ago, and uh, Dick's been a friend, and and the transformation in his life is absolutely stunning to me. He was a Christian. He didn't get saved under my ministry, uh, but he's been transformed, and it's not because of me. Uh, lots of people have been in your life, and you've been a now you're a mentor to many. I praise the Lord for you, Dick. So, yeah, I came here in 1998, and uh, I'll, the story, that, that's a great question, by the way. I, I love, I'd love to drop into like 25 different Bible stories. But the one that came to my mind, not too far off of yours, is Acts chapter 1, Jesus having hung out, the, the, the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus hanging out during that 40-day period with his disciples, discussing the kingdom of God, and, and then, uh, you know, answering their question that it's not for you to know the times, but, but you, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. I would love to have been given that call by Jesus himself with the anticipation of the Holy Spirit to come and then to watch him ascend into heaven and to hear two angels, you know, stare up and have two angels go, hey, what, do you, what are you staring up there for? This same Jesus you see going up into the clouds will come again in like manner. So to be given the promise of his return and the clarion call to tell people about Jesus. That's where I would like to have been. 
Hey, Josh Anderson. I've been at Sailorville here since the pews were orange, which was 2003. I uh, met my wife here and uh, been involved in a bunch of different ministries over the years. I spend most of my time involved with our missions committee, uh, one of the deacons here as well. So when, uh, when I heard there was going to be a men's breakfast and it was an Ask Anything panel, my first thought was, oh, those poor souls are going to be up there. <laughs> and then about a week later, I got a text from Trevor and said, hey, you're going to be on the panel. <laughs> So thanks, Trevor. You become the deacon chairman, it comes with some responsibility. Yeah, thanks. You're stuck. <laughs> um, but uh, if you could drop me into any, any Bible story, I don't know about you, but when I look at my Bible, there's like three or four pages where there's no sin on earth back in creation. And I just think that'd be really cool to be there, see creation, be in the Garden of Eden, see the way God intended this earth to be, knowing that that's what heaven's going to be like someday, um, and just see firsthand the beauty and the majesty and, and the whole just creation and authority of God over nothingness that turned into the beauty that we enjoy even in a sinful world. So that would be a pretty interesting thing to have seen firsthand. Yeah, so I'm Colton Willie. Uh, I've been going to Sayville for probably about eight years now. Um, and if Dick's the sage, then I'm the greenhorn. So I'm just going to defer all my questions to Pastor Pat, basically. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I've grown just exponentially since I've come to Sailorville. Uh, I was saved in college, basically grew up as a moralist, uh, knew about God, but didn't know God. Um, and came to Sailorville, uh, when I first started teaching, I'm a public school teacher in a district around here. And when I came to Sailorville, I just heard the Bible preached, uh, boldly and truthfully, uh, straight from the text, not glossed over. And that truly has changed my life, um, and just help me chase after the Lord as he chases after me. Um, I think if I was thinking about any Bible story, uh, the one that kept coming to mind was Gideon. Uh, because, you know, he has this giant army and he's getting ready for this huge battle to basically take Israel out of uh, slavery, basically. And then God says, well, send your troops down there, have them lap up some water, and then watches like hundreds and thousands of them just walk away, right? And I think for me, like just to be there and watch this grand army basically get decimated by God's command... And then, you know, Gideon being asked to still have faith in God, that's something that I need to grow in anyways. Um, plus, I'm a history major, so I just like the war and the battles and stuff like that. So, yeah. Great. Thank you, guys. Uh, as you can see, we've got a big range of experiences, big range of life stages up here. So we did that. To hopefully, you guys throw questions from different perspectives that you want to hear from. We've got them up here. I made a giant list of prepared questions just in case, but we've already had several coming in. So I'm going to start right away throwing these guys audibles on questions they did not necessarily know were coming, or we're going to see how they do. Uh, I'm going to throw Josh this first one to you because you were so excited about being put on the spot. Um, Appreciate that. And, and this question is actually very similar to one I sent you in advance, so uh, hopefully uh, you've had at least a little bit of chance to think about it. Here's the question. Is it wrong of me to want a nice lifestyle? I want to do lay ministry... Um, and not get paid for it so that my full-time job can provide a high level of comfort in my lifestyle. I want to give away a lot of money, but I'm not sure if giving away a lot justifies living a nice lifestyle. Um, as a guy in the workforce, um, what are your reflections on that? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, a, that's a question I think a lot of guys should wrestle with. Uh, if we really understand the gospel and, and the radical nature that Jesus has called us to give to the world with our, our finances and, and be a part of his um, kingdom building here on earth.
But you think about, okay, what's a lifestyle? And, and even like, what's luxury? That changes over time. It changes over cultures. Uh, I really wish sometimes we could see like um, everybody's balance sheet over their head as they're walking around because you'd see somebody purchase something and say, wow, they definitely couldn't afford that. But you think higher of them because, oh, look, look, they have this really nice thing. Or you see somebody buy something really nice and you're like, wow, that, that's just like a small rounding error in their giving category. Um, so what is a luxury? It changes over time, right? But if I think about, we want us to answer things biblically, um, I would ground myself, the Bible says a lot about money. Um, and I would go to verses like uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Um, so many verses in the Bible deal with the love of money being the root of evil. And so I would draw clear guard true, true, excuse me, clear, clear guardrails um, in thinking about, okay, what's an acceptable lifestyle and make sure that I'm not loving money more than I'm loving people or Jesus, um, that I'm not pursuing wealth because you read all these warnings in scripture from Proverbs, from Ecclesiastes talking about, um, you know, not toiling to acquire wealth, um, you know, not laying up treasures for yourself um, on heaven, in, in earth, as you would, um, um, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, in Matthew. Um, so, seek first the kingdom of God. I can't answer your question exactly, because it really depends on your situation, and where you're at in the world, and where you're at even in history, as to what people should be spending their money on, but there's so much truth in the Bible about money, um, and how we should be good stewards of that. And if we can stand before God and say that, yes, Lord, I've been a good steward of what you've entrusted me with, and I've put your kingdom first and all of that first, then the rest of the details of who spent what on what brand or got what vacation or what house or car or what lifestyle, those things don't matter. That's vanity. Thank you. Excellent. Um, Pastor Pat, this one's for you. This is about a uh, preaching series and content that we're covering. I love the current series on the life of Jesus, but why doesn't Sailorville offer more guidance about what's going on in the world today? It is mind-boggling to discern between truth and mistruth in all the messages that are out there. Uh, well, I think we do. And uh, we do it by honoring God by preaching his word. So if his word is our final authority and it's the ultimate source of truth, we're going to come upon every single issue and cultural issue that's out there eventually. I do think that from time to time, uh, we will, uh, I'll take a hiatus and go and, and deal with a particular issue. Might be in a podcast, might be in a sermon. Uh, I am very mindful of of what's going on in our culture. I don't have my head stuck in the sand there. But I'm, we're not a church that's going to be driven by the culture. The culture isn't going to rule what we preach. We're going to preach the word and let the chips fall where they may. And as we do, we will tackle those cultural issues. <clears throat> and, uh, and the other way what we deal with it, Trevor, is, uh, is... And by the way, I'm glad this person said they still like the series, so I don't think I'll lose them on this deal. But... Uh, uh, I but, may have just added that. You don't know. Oh, no. really? Thanks, Trevor. I, I Yikes. Didn't. Uh, but if you've been around Sailorville uh, for many years now, we, we have that in mind every summer. So every single summer, we, we put aside the normal exposition verse by verse through 
you know, a particular book or whatever, in this case, the life of Christ in the Gospels, and we deal with issues, cultural issues. Uh, uh, so just a couple of years ago, we have a whole series that we encourage people with some of, we did a uh, issues and inspiration series and we did the whole LGBTQ plus situation and several other cultural issues just a couple of years ago. And it's not that we shouldn't deal with them again, but we do have that in mind when we do those things in the summer so that we can tackle some of those things. But again, I'm not going to be driven and no one in this pulpit is going to be driven by the current cultural situation where I put my finger up here and here's what what's going on that's that's not the basis by which we preach the word of God so very good thanks uh, Dick I'm going to throw this one to you uh, because uh, you mentioned you go out calling I know you have a passion for being part of the calling ministry and sharing the gospel um, the question is I, I want to share the gospel with more people but I don't have the same personality as Pastor Pat or a Chuck the Clean uh, how can I share the gospel if uh, I have a more maybe reserved personality or other venues for sharing the word? I don't have those personalities either. <laughs> in fact, in my, I used to be absolutely do this, I'd have passed out. I mean, I didn't like being up in front of people. I was never good at being responsible to carry a conversation. Still not real great at it. But the calling ministry has fixed a lot of that. I mean, I was forced to talk to people. If you, if you, I'll tell you what, if, you want to, if you're like me and you want to get over that, there's a ministry to get into because it'll force you. Uh, and you learn to pick up clues as you walk up to a house. What do I talk about? Well, look around, see what's there, see where they're from, see what teams they like, uh, see if they have kids, anything like that. You just learn to pick up clues. And so that's been really good for me to get over shyness and the ability to talk to people but what I learned especially from Chuck and I want to just say something because pastor said something about he had no part in my change that's not true um, when he first came here he always was sharing how he was witnessing to people and leading people to Christ and that's what first motivated me to want to be a part of that God used him to say, hey, I want you to do that, which is the last thing I thought he'd ever want me to do because of my personality. So I started going calling with him. These were set up calls. It wasn't like with Chuck where we went out cold calling, which really was the thing that really helped me the most. But um, what I learned from Chuck and even from Pat was make people your friend. Get unsaved people to be your friend. And you will have natural conversations with them. And I will guarantee you there will be times when you can witness because it will just naturally come up. There will be opportunities. Now, I had to plan for this because I wasn't a natural talker. So when I was working, I would rehearse my uh, going through the gospel. How do I do that? I would start from why you need the gospel right up to what do you do about it. And I would go through that often during the week, just so when I, the opportunity came up, I would know what to say, and I would learn scripture to go along with that. And so that eliminated some of the fear of talking to people about Christ. And then uh, um, I just asked God, Lord, you, you prompt me. Show me what to do. Show me what to say. When is that op moment there? And I'm telling you, he does. It's almost like he does this. He just said, take advantage, walk in there. So ask God to give you the courage to do it. Be prepared, and it'll come up naturally in conversation. 
I got to a situation now where I'm not meeting people at all. I never did meet a lot of people on my job because I mainly worked off by myself. But um, I asked God, what do I do? And I heard a sermon on the radio one day. Find something that you like or you're good at uh, that involves being with people. And so I did that. I had a couple of things I really enjoyed. One I wasn't doing anymore, hadn't for a long time. And the other one I didn't do very much, but I liked it. Last summer, I joined a senior golf league. <laughs> I got to meet two new guys, played with them all summer. Neither one of them were believers, I don't, I'm pretty sure. But you, the opportunities to speak just naturally came. One guy asked me one day when we were sitting in the cart, uh, what do you do with your time when you're not out playing golf? So I told him the things I was interested in and different things, and I told him what I did for the church, how we go out and talk, and I told him, uh, and, but our main goal is not to get the people necessarily to come to our church, even though that's nice. My main goal is to try and do a Bible study with them that teaches them that they can know absolutely for sure they're going to heaven. And I explained that to him. There are just natural ways you can get into conversations with people. You don't have to force it. It'll just come. God will bring it to you. But make people your friends and then be prepared. That's my advice. Awesome. Thanks, Dick. I mean, and I'll just say personally, one of the big reasons my wife and I came to Sailorville Church is we wanted to get around people who would help us get better at sharing the gospel. And so certainly that uh, I think a lot of you can agree this church, uh, that em emphasis is here. And uh, I've learned a lot uh, in that area, too. So I'm, I'm grateful to Sailorville. Colton, I'm going to come your way. So you are a um, teacher at a public school, is that correct? Uh, so a very biblical environment uh, that endorses not so much no. endorses everything you would Surprising, like to say. But. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of questions around this, uh, basically just about being in an environment where the official policies uh, are not consistent uh, with what you would like to say biblically. Um, so here's a very specific one, and you can kind of pivot off this to talk about other issues if you like. If someone asked you for your personal pronouns, what would you tell them? <laughs> uh, Male made in the image of God. That's probably what I'd say. Um, you know, and, and I've, I have students, many students, probably three or four, in my class currently that identify as, as transgender. And um, I'm looking out at David Tashner right now, who's one of my mentors. And uh, I actually came to Dave and I asked him, how do I approach this, right? Because I want to be biblical. I want to stand for God's truth, you know. Uh, and he told me, and I, I think it was a good word. He's like, you love them like Christ loved you. You know, I thought that was a great word from him. And I think um, with my students and some coworkers even that identify with that, um, we have to realize that, you know, even though they might, they might feel like they are being fulfilled in this, they might feel like they, this is their identity and all that stuff. Like if we believe scripture, right, we know that what they're doing is unnatural, right? It is an affront to God, right? And so Sin, it only knows how to do one thing, and that's kill you, right? Sin causes death, plain and simple, right? So uh, they might not realize that, but it, it doesn't just cause spiritual death. It causes mental death. I mean, I have kids, they're confused is what they are, ultimately. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, they grew up in a culture that, you know, right is left and left is right. You know, it's all over the place. So I guess what I would say is, um, it, it goes back to, I'm in Corinthians right now, my own devotions. Matthew's chapter is 1 Corinthians uh, 13, right? We talk about all these spiritual gifts in chapter 12, but chapter 13 says, if you don't love people, 
none of it matters, right? So I can beat them over the head with truth, but if I don't show that I actually care about them as a person, they don't care, right? Um, so that's, I guess, that would be my answer to my personal pronoun. Yeah, well, consistent theme there. You and Dick are both saying the same thing, right? Love people first. That opens the door, uh, which is exactly what Jesus taught us. With some good theology that he threw in there, too. What sin does, and to recognize that as you're befriending and loving people, you don't have to come in there and with, you know, with both guns blazing on, the, on your theology of harmartia that is on sin, but to know that as you're talking with them, that's... That helps you. That helps you to love. That's that exactly you what, what you talked about in your first answer, right? I mean, by, by sticking to theology and the gospel, that gives us an opportunity to talk about the current issues that confront us. That's the root of how we address those things. Uh, my next question, um, and I, I'm kind of looking at Kurt, our counseling pastor, in the front row, because it's kind of a counseling question, but I'll throw it out to all of you. And, uh, and certainly, <laughs> we want Kurt. We want Kurt. You thought you were going to get a day off. <laughs> I told these guys it was going to be like improv up here. So the panel, uh, we just went to the bullpen. So we should have had Kurt up and throwing a few minutes ago, so he was ready to go. Uh, but I would imagine this is a question you hear in the counseling office on a regular basis. Um, how do I love my wife well when she has confirmed that my past sins make it hard for her to love me? Yeah, we, we brought you in to throw some heat uh, on this. Repeat the question. Yeah, um, how do I love my wife well when she has confirmed that my past sins are making it hard for her to love me? I would say you do not try to defend yourself. You demonstrate consistency of lifestyle. You love her even when you're taking perhaps in your mind some abuse where she is using your past against you. I have to tell people regularly, follow the example of Jesus. When he was reviled, that is spoken ill of, he reviled not again. As a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. <clears throat> I don't think you fight fire with fire. I think you fight it with love, as you've heard a few moments ago. So um, you would actually in humility say, sweetheart, you're right. That's the way I have behaved. I'm ashamed of that, but I've gone to Christ for forgiveness, and he's forgiven me. And I'm so grateful for his forgiveness, and I want to be a better husband. Will you forgive me for how I've behaved against you? I behave very poorly, and I recognize that. I have no defense, but I'm forgiven in the blood of Christ. And honey, I love you. And I, and I want to be a different man, and I'm not going to be perfect, but I want to show you that Jesus has made a difference in my life. You do not defend yourself, you just demonstrate love, and there's nothing anybody can do to fight against a loving demeanor, such as Christ has displayed toward us, and we can display toward our mate. I think you just retired all the batters. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> Anyone else want to add anything to uh, that? All right. Thank you very much, Kurt. Um, yeah. 
The next question I'm just going to throw out to the group and uh, anyone jump in. Um, this is a question about singleness. I'm struggling with being single. I'm more content in God than I've ever been, but I still feel like there's something missing in my life. How do I continue to find satisfaction in Christ while being single? I know you're looking at a panel full of married guys here, but there are plenty of people who are asking this question in our church. Uh, what perspectives would you offer on that? Yeah, I, I can answer that one. So. Um, many of you know my wife, uh, Rachel Willie, definitely my better half, uh, bar none. Um, but before Rachel, I was 100% a hopeless romantic, 100%. I, singleness, I was, you know, I, was, I was there. So whoever asked this question, I relate to you, and I completely understand that, right? Um, I always tell uh, people, men who are single right now or men who are pursuing women, uh, the sexiest thing you can do for a godly woman is to be a godly man, Plain and simple, right? And so I think it goes back to that, that principle that we said before. If you seek first the kingdom of God, you know, God sees our needs, right? He sees your, your longing for a wife. He sees your longing for companionship, right? But I, I, I don't think you want to fool yourself in thinking that that's going to complete me, right? Because ultimately, take it from me, I'm married to a beautiful, loving, grace-filled wife, but she does not complete me. Right? Can I get an amen there? I mean, I feel like, I mean, Rachel is, I mean, you could not ask for a better wife. He's incredible. But as soon as you get married, single man, okay, guess what? The hole's still there, okay? You still desire God in your inmost being, right? So I would say, seek him first, right? I mean, he's your, he's your loving father. He knows what's best for you, okay? Um, but ultimately, you know, you want to be attractive to women, godly women, be a godly man. Yeah, great answer, Colton. I mean, that's really, it's a, it's a topic of idolatry, isn't it? It's like, what is it that we're worshiping? What is it that we're seeking our value in? And that's got to be God alone, just as you said, whether we're single or married. Um, okay, here comes our first theology question. So I guess I'll go to you, Pastor Pat, on this one. Um, a lot of people, even believers, have the wrong understanding about death and heaven. People talk about angels, they talk about getting wings, they talk about everyone going to heaven, looking down on people, down on earth. How do I talk to people about what life after death looks like? And how do I even talk about that on social media when I see someone speaking of it incorrectly? Uh, first of all, don't get into a debate in social media. That's a no-win deal right there. If it's a friend, uh, like a real friend on social media, uh, then you could, you know, you could go, you could text them or you could go on a, you know, Facebook Messenger or something like that where you could privately address the issue. So you'd be showing some respect. I don't think anybody wants to be pummeled. I, I've, I, I've, done, I've done funerals where people would say things like, well, they're an angel now, just like that, or, you know, they're, they're or the other one is they're in a much better place. And that's a difficult thing because uh, I've done many funerals where I, uh, as far as I could tell, all, every evidence in my mind is they are not in a better place. Uh, but that's not where you want to turn around and say, well, that's not true. You got somebody who's bereaved in the moment, you know, so you want to, that's where you have to sort of lovingly circumvent that. I think, uh, so in other words, it's, uh, you don't, I don't know that's, Unless you're in a, a Bible study with someone, a one-on-one -on -one situation where you're not going to embarrass them in front of a bunch of people, uh, you don't want to correct that on the spot. 
I think that's just exceedingly unwise to do that. So it's all about relationships with those kinds of things. And of course, you understanding your own theology of death, that death is real. I mean, Colton mentioned, I love, love what you said, sin, I mean, that, it helps you to love people when you know that sin kills. You know, the wages of sin is death. We are, it separates us from God. It'll take us out of this world. You want to know how many people uh, have sinned? You count the graveyards, you know, the graves uh, and the graveyards. So everybody dies. So I would, what I do is try to face the reality of that. I literally talked to somebody one time who didn't think they would die. They literally did not think they would die. That was a really hard thing to deal with. But, that's, but most people do recognize they are going to die. And uh, so at that point, you have to, you look at it as an opportunity to talk about what happens when you die. And it's an appointed, it's appointed unto man, what? Once to die, after this, the judgment. And, uh, and uh, so when it comes to correcting bad theology, and there's a lot of it out there. By the way, you all know you don't turn into angels when you die. Amen. Because you guys would look like really weird angels. I'm just telling you that right now. Uh, but, uh, uh, and, I, and people do need to be, especially Christians. It doesn't help you to take a non-Christian and correct their theology. Again, unless you're in a witnessing situation, it just seems like a great opportunity to do so. So don't go around correcting people's bad theology. But if it's a Christian, if you're, if you're a true follower of Christ and you have those kinds of thinkings, that's bad thinking, that's bad theology, and probably just an evidence that you haven't been reading your Bible because it's really interesting. Jesus did say in Matthew 22 that people neither marry or are given in marriage, but are, no, no, remember the next line is? Like the angels in heaven. They don't become angels, but we become, become like we are we're glorified, we're not procreating in heaven, those types of things. That's a different line of reasoning, but that's what I would do. Understand your audience. At the end of the day, it's all about understanding your audience. You're hearing a lot of answers that involve relationship building, obviously. It's so key, and uh, knowing the right time to lean in and the right time to just be a friend. Um, okay, uh, Josh, I'm going to come your way with a parenting question. Um, my young child just prayed to be saved. Now what? <laughs> How do I lead them from there? Wow. Um, you know, I think first, first, our own relationship with the Lord is, is key in parenting moments because you cannot teach or lead by example something that doesn't exist for you. Um, so you cannot expect kids to be reading their Bible on their own if they don't see dad reading his Bible on his own. You can't expect kids to be loving people the way Jesus did if you're not doing that on your own. Uh, you can't expect kids to be sharing the gospel with people if they're not doing it on their own. So I think, first I think of, you know, kids are different. Um, think about your kid. What are, how, what's their makeup? Who are they? What, what inspires them? What lights them up? You know, are they really visual uh, as a learner? You know, can, can you connect with them visually as you study scripture together? Uh, are they more of a, a people person? Can you put them around other people or, or have friends in their life that you help them find that can, that can speak into their life? Um, are they you know, more into doing experiences and, and could you have a really meaningful time out on a hike in the wilderness talking about the things of God that you see? Um, but for me personally, like I have a list in my phone of things, experiences or things I want to be able to do with my kids before they graduate or leave. So I've got a 13-year-old son now an 11-year-old daughter, and I've got a list of things that I want to be teaching them 
that when they're adults and on their own, hopefully they've had the experience through parenting intentionally that we've been able to go through. Um, and maybe back to the original part of your question of just kid just got saved um, and reaffirming teaching what they've believed, um, but getting them in the word of God, um, whether they can do that on their own if they're old enough or if you're right there with them reading, um, but being intentional about being in the word of God, starting to learn the disciplines, praying, um, praying for people, reading the, reading the word, memorizing it, um, getting, getting them plugged into the, the programs our church has here for kids, getting them here on Sundays. Like those are all things that are part of that complete package of parents trying to be useful to, to leading their kids to becoming more like Jesus. Great. Thank you. I, I think that's a great answer, especially I love what he said, know your kids and know their wiring. Proverbs 20, verse 11 says, even a child is known by their doings. So that's, that is the clarion call to the father to recognize how their kid is wired, and that's the best way they're going to learn. That's a great answer, Josh. I also like your answer that their kids aren't going to do what you, you can't teach them what you're not doing. And I, to my shame for many years did not teach my kids what I was professing because I lived for myself pretty much. And it wasn't until they were, my son was in high school that I really got things straightened around, but it was too late. And he doesn't live for God to this day to my shame. And I have to take part of the blame for that. I mean, he makes his own choices, but I regret not teaching him from day one what his life should be like. Wow. Well, thanks for that, Dick, being honest. Um, that, that's a perfect segue into the next question. Is um, It says, older guys. So I assume that's Colton. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot of gray hairs. Yeah. <laughs> older guys, just what is one thing you wish you would go back and tell your younger self to do differently? And Dick, you just talked about one of those. Uh, Pat, shameless plug, you've written a whole book about that. Um, and I, but I'll open up to all you guys. Anything you, you say, boy, if I could just go back and tell myself to change course, what's, what is something, and yeah, limit it to one. We probably all have long lists. I, I would just, uh, I, would, I would say to be a better listener to my kids and, uh, and not be afraid to let them to absorb things that are hurtful, that, uh, that make you cringe, uh, and not just preach at it right away. And I would say that if I regret one thing, uh, I, I wish I would have allowed my kids more room to doubt. Um, I didn't give them a lot of room to doubt and, and, and so they, they, didn't, they lost some of the freedom with their dad in some of those days. I, I learned, in fact, one of my sons uh, really rebuked me. One day I was, he had done something really stupid and, and I looked at him, I said, you, you know what you believe. And he looked right at me and said, and he was, a, he was 17 at the time, he goes, dad, sometimes I don't know, I don't know what I believe. And you could have knocked me over with a feather in that moment. And I sensed the Lord saying to me, embrace his doubt. Let him struggle through this. And I was so grateful that God re rebuked me and spoke to me in that moment to my, to my heart. I don't mean I heard anything audibly. 
but uh, it, it helped us. We worked through it. He's a Christ follower today. That, always, that was not always the case for me. Go along with what I just said, what I would change is developing uh, my relationship with Christ at a very young age because I didn't do that. I uh, was raised in a Christian home. I knew better. When I was a little kid, I loved coming to church. Uh, but then I let my own selfishness and my own fears and my own desires pull me away from really a relationship with Christ. I didn't pray. I didn't study his word hardly ever. Um, and so I was living a selfish life. And I, if I could change anything, that's what I would change, develop that relationship and start learning his word talking to him and just having a relationship with him because it would have changed my whole young life. Josh, you want me to identify as older? Uh, we're going to put you in the middle. How about that? <laughs> um, just thinking back, you know, when, you're, when you know you're walking with the Lord and you're in scripture and living righteously and doing right, and the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, like talk to somebody or help somebody, or somebody calls you with a need, you should probably follow that and say yes and see where God's taken that. Because uh, I think that's the, the kind of nature that, that God has put into us. If you're too focused on your task list that day, like I may have been in the past, ah, oh, sorry, I don't have time for that. That's not going to happen. Yeah, no, they need help again. Yeah, no, that's not me. Uh, you start to miss out on opportunities. And if God's bringing them to you, man, what a waste. I think we even say that's sin, to, to know what to do and, and to not do it uh, would be sin. So living flexibly enough that when God puts opportunities in front of us and you have that nudging and you know you've been living right and you know you've been in Scripture, man, follow it. Uh, I can think of times that I have and it, wow, what, a, what an awesome thing to see God work. You want to be useful to God? <laughs> Sometimes he's trying to help us out. And uh, if we ignore him based on our own task list, we're missing. Yeah, I could add something. The, the Wait, 30 year old the 30 year old guy talking to the <laughs> 20s and the 18s okay uh, yeah I haven't lived a lot of life honestly but I remember I spoke with Pastor Pat once about a sin issue in my own heart and he told me discipline leads to delight and I I have always really kind of lived by that and um, you know Hebrews 12 I had to look it up but Hebrews 12:11 says now no chastening discipline seems to be joyful for the present but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so I guess as the 30-year-old guy, you know, talking to the 20s, the teens and all that stuff, you know, I know when I first got saved, I was 19 out of college and I was not disciplined, right? Didn't read the word, was not being in community. And so I didn't grow. Imagine that, you know. Um, and I think what I've found now that I've gotten, I was just talking about it on the table with the guys I was eating breakfast with is, you know, my 30s have already, my 30s, my late 20s and my 30s have already been way better than my early 20s. Well, why? Because I have spiritual disciplines in place, right? Um, discipline leads to delight. This is one for everybody about personal devotions. Um, this one, someone in my small group asked me this recently. Uh, people tell me to be in the word. Well, what does that even mean? And what do I do? I'm thinking we're in February. We're about to hit that slog. If you're doing a year-long reading plan, you're going to hit Leviticus pretty soon. <laughs> how, do, how do I keep getting something out of Bible reading when some of it's tough to get something out of on a lot of days? So just all of you speak from a lifetime of reading the Word, kind of what you've learned there. 
I, first thing, I get up first thing in the morning, that's the first thing I do. I get into the Word, because if I put it off till later in the day, there's too many things in life that get in the way, and it doesn't get done. So that's the first thing I do. But what I've done is I've found some commentaries I really like, and I read a chapter, and then I read about that chapter in a commentary. So if, I, if I'm in Leviticus, <laughs> I don't always get it, but if sometimes these commentators, they can really help you out to understand, oh, that's, a, that's what that means. That's how that works. I don't always agree with them either because they're just men. So don't put all your faith in what they say. That's why you have to know the word in its entirety to know when you're being fed a, something that isn't true. So, but I, that's what I do. I, I, uh, I get into a commentary along with my Bible reading. Uh, that's good. But what do you do when you run into all the pomegranates and lily works and stuff like that in Leviticus? Skip them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're honest up here, aren't we? Um, so uh, I'm not, I've, I've never been an advocate of just reading the Bible straight through for that reason, because we do get into those places where you slog along, you get to First Chronicles, and you got nine chapters of names. I, I remember hearing a, a nationally known teacher who's not as popular today, but many years ago, he was going through every name and looking into the hidden meanings of the names. I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> this is just stupid. So uh, I think you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta slog through those, but having a balanced approach, I mean, for, for, uh, for many, many years, I always read one, one Psalm, one Proverb, one Old Testament, one New Testament, and that's how I get through the Bible about every year and a half or so. Now, I am actually reading through the Bible, but the program I use is one that we put on our church that does get you to read things like Psalms and Proverbs and New Testament as well. So when you are wrestling through those passages in Exodus and Leviticus and the tabernacle set up and the, you know, you know just difficult, you know when you're done with that chapter, you're going to get into the New. One other thing I would say. Everybody should know Psalm 119 and verse 83. It's a very obscure text, but the Lord showed me this many, many years ago, and it's the advice I give to every person who struggles with their Bible reading because it becomes boring, or they've had a difficult time, I've been reading it for weeks, I'm just not getting much out of it. I mean, you do have to do the other things, confessing sin, look at your own life, all those kinds of things are a part of it. You're not going to get, God's not going to drop the dew of heaven down if you're living a hypocritical life. But as far, if, if, as best you know how you're living for Jesus and the Bible's kind of boring and we get there once in a while, I would tell you that I think it's by design. I think God allows those dry slots to take place in our lives by design to test you and to test me to stay in the word until the dawn breaks, so to speak. Here's how the psalmist put it. I'm like a wineskin in the smoke but I don't forget your statutes. In other words, a wineskin in the smoke would be something dry and or brittle. He's describing his life, but he said, I feel dry. Isn't that kind of what we're talking about? We're reading the Bible and we're not seeming to get anything. I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. But the psalmist in the same vein says, but I don't forget your statutes. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I know this, this is the discipline leading to the light. You push through that. And, uh, and the dawn will break. That's my advice to those of you when you get to those troubled times. Problem with that is it's in Psalms 119 and by the time you get there you're asleep. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm going to broaden that question just a little bit and let Josh and uh, Colton weigh in because there was another question just in general. How do I get more disciplined in my life? And that's kind of what we're talking about. So kind of maybe wrap those two answers together because we know there's, there's entire books on spiritual disciplines and it can be a lot to think about doing all that in your life. How do, how do you start to get there? First thing that comes to mind for me is, is back to knowing yourself, know your own wiring, know your own gifts, and then give yourself the gift of being easy to do business with yourself. So, so by that, I mean, if I try to study the word the way Pastor Pat does, it probably wouldn't work for me. I don't know how you do it, but I mean, sitting in a coffee shop with a bunch of people, I can't do that, okay? I'm, I'm an engineer type by, by degree, and I have to draw stuff out visually, so I have things like this in my Bible that I diagram and write stuff, and my underlining is color-coded in four different categories <laughs> of things that, uh, that are, mean something to me when I read it and study it. Um, I make notes like this. Like that, that makes it exciting for me that I'm not just reading endlessly or reading socially. I'm reading visually, and so giving yourself the gift of, of that, and then, it, then the discipline is natural because it's not hard work to do stuff in your sweet spot the way you like to do things. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having different approaches to how you study God's word. As long as we're in the word, um, I've heard before, you know, reading it fast, reading it slow, there's so many different ways you can do it, but the discipline comes when you build in habits that are easy for you to do, or you're not going to do them. Yeah, I remember a uh, sermon that pastor gave years ago, probably through Genesis. And he talked about Abraham and Lot, right? And he talked about how if you hang out with a lot of Lots, you're going to become like Lot, right? But if you hang out with a lot of Abrahams, you're going to become like Abraham, right? And I think the two things for the discipline, I would say, Trevor, is number one, find a mentor. So we're at a men's breakfast. There's 30-year-olds and there's 70-year-olds, right? Find a mentor. Find somebody that can pour into you, okay? Uh, find somebody that is disciplined, right? That can speak truth to you and do life with you, okay? I mentioned David Tashner before. He's hiding over there, right? Um, him and I have great conversations, and he has no fear in pushing me. I need to be pushed, right? I need to be disciplined. Um, but not just that. I would also say, again, we're at a men's breakfast. Find an accountability group and be willing to be utterly vulnerable with those guys, right? If you do not confess your sin, okay, not, not, nothing's going to change, right? Um, but I know I have a group of guys that we meet Sundays pretty much monthly, about 8 o'clock downstairs, and you know, we, we pour it out. I mean, it gets pretty visceral, you know? But men, we need that, right? Because if we don't, then nothing's going to change, right? Sin will just, again, it goes back to the doctrine of sin. It just festers. It's like bacteria in an open wound, okay? You don't clean it out by confession, first to the Lord and then to your brothers, nothing happens. That's what I would say. Here's, here's a big picture question you can all weigh in on. Um, in your opinion, the church as a whole in America, what's it doing well and what does it need to improve upon? And of course, that means what do you mean by the church? You can take that in direction you'd like to. Knowledge puffs up. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. The church in America is a very knowledgeable church. But it can be a very proud church. Uh, I remember having an, a, a missionary from India 
in our church here a number of years ago, and we sort of asked that question in a different way, Trevor. And I remember, in fact, it was Kevin Thomas who said, what, what's the, he says, what's the difference between the church in India and our church? He meant not Sailorville, but just the church in general in America. And he said, uh, you have money, but you have no power. And that, uh, that, that gave me a lot of pause, and it still does. We're now, in this case, I, I'm not talking about money. We are a very materialistic society as well, of course, humanistic, atheistic. And, um, but we, we lack power. That's the thing that I think the church in America lacks. And I want that power back, starting right here. God will let us have it. I would just add a quote very similar to that I heard. Also an Indian pastor said, it's amazing how far the American church has gotten without the Holy Spirit's backing. Same thing. Same thing. So how far has it gotten? That makes me think of a quote. So um, John MacArthur, which is funny he said it, but John MacArthur said, it's easy for many Christians to be orthodox but not loving. You know, And that's, I mean, that's a... The haymaker from the waymaker is what some people say around here, right? But that, I, I believe that's true. I think that, it, you know, again, I'm young, but I just, as I look around the church, I think, uh, Pastor, I've read your book, you know, and, and Pastor talks about how there's a lot of teachers of the word, but not a lot of preachers of the word. And there is a difference, right? We, it's, we can dissect it. We can, you know, you say like gnaw on the bone a lot. You say that at the pulpit. But I think if we're, we can gnaw on all we want, but if it's not changing us, or if it's not pushing us out there to love people, then it's not doing anything, you know. We got our holy huddle, and that's about it. You finished your book? <laughs> wow. I Maybe I shouldn't have said that. You know, it's a shocker of shockers. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> but that meant helpers. He's a helper, and Trevor's been, Trevor's been a huge help in this endeavor. But that's a different story. So. Trevor, the, the, uh, the verses that came to me when you asked that question, uh, I go to 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You have the early church Christians dealing with this constant war between the flesh and really the spiritual warfare that's going on. And I think if you look at the average typical demographic of who we're interacting with in our communities, very spiritual people who claim to believe the same things that we do, but actually don't understand what we mean when we talk about the gospel or when we talk about what the Bible says. And so for us to be aware of what's happening in our culture and being able to bring the truth, to destroy the arguments in a loving way, but demonstrating what the church can do not just as part of a church that's like another church, but a church that is truly God's church that's doing God's work. If we're part of that and being useful in that mission, then it becomes more obvious to us where we need to fit. And I think there's more work for us to do in that space. In my experiences visiting other churches, fundamental churches, I think of Paul telling Timothy, he, God did not give you a spirit of timidity. But that's what I see in these churches when it comes to the gospel. I've been to a number of different fundamental churches and never heard the gospel mentioned. They preach a sermon from scripture, but I don't, I don't see it in their churches or even hear it mentioned. 
And I think that's what a lot of the fundamental churches are missing. I think they're afraid to give the gospel because it'll drive people away. That's the only reason I can figure that they don't do it. Or they're afraid of themselves of what people will think of them. And I think that's why even personally we don't do it a lot of times. We're afraid of what people will think of us. But I think our, the fundamental churches in America need to be bold with the gospel. Those are great answers, guys. We're going to end on that note. And I just want to summarize. I think if you listen to everything you've heard over the last hour, you're hearing the DNA of what's made Sailorville Church what it is. You've heard the gospel. You've heard uh, expository preaching being important. You've heard relationships with other people. You've heard uh, vulnerability, being willing to admit our own weaknesses and the importance of confession to other men in your lives. And when people ask what has driven Sailorville to where it is, that's it, all of those things. And, uh, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church on the confession of the gospel and the gates of hell will not prevail against it as long as you confess that. And one of my great honors here as a deacon is I get to listen to new member testimonies uh, every couple of weeks. And over and over again, I hear people say, we went to a lot of churches, we didn't hear the gospel until we came here. And I know Pastor Pat's committed to that. I know the entire church is, and that's where we stand. And I think that's what has uh, allowed Sailorville to be used by God. And uh, thank you guys for all of those perspectives. Thank you for sending all of your questions. Um, we're going to continue to keep this list of those that have come in. A lot of these are going to come up in the church podcast. Uh, some guys' emails. So look for some answers. If yours didn't get answered here, uh, we'll get some of those out to you. And I think uh, with that, first of all, let's give a hand to our panel. Thank you. And thanks for the relief pitching. Uh, Pastor Kurt brought it strong, came in, got two guys out. Boom. All right, I think I'm going to hand off to Abe. Is that right? He's got some logistics for us. Here's what I was thinking as I was listening to those guys. This was really good, good conversation. What's the one thing that I'm going to take away and actually apply and actually do in my life, right? It's easy to come to this and be like, that was a great breakfast, and I go back to life, but like, what was the one thing for you? Take it with you, apply it, put it into action. And uh, I just want to say thanks for coming. I love just seeing all of you guys here investing in your, in your walk with the Lord, investing in other guys, pushing other guys, investing in your marriage and your kids. So thanks for getting up. Thanks for being here. Thanks for making the commitment. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thanks for these guys. Thanks that they're here. It's not a mistake that you have every guy here this morning. And God, even as we were challenged this morning, may we be godly, holy, humble men, and we are so needy. We are so needy as men. We put on the facade that we've got it figured out, that we know exactly what we should do. We know exactly how we should parent and be husbands and be dads and be friends and we're just learners, and we need to continue to be humble, to continue to push each other, to challenge each other. And may we leave with that posture of humility, of neediness, Lord, that you would give us great wisdom, protection. Lord, protect our hearts, protect our minds from sin, from pride, and that we would be the leaders, as we've been challenged, to be leaders here in this church, in our families, all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed, thanks for coming.